0: Andrea, these boxes are an excellent idea. More people have had opportunity to hear the gospel because of them than just about anything we've thought. And it starts with thoughtfulness and kindness. A great idea. Next time, my dear wife, she'll I have about in fact what she does is she has five of them. She always has to do one for every grandchild. And if our children become prolific, just think. Now I'm getting some echo up here tonight. I want to hear. I want to hear me, but I don't want to necessarily hear myself. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time you have this morning together. Thank you for the way that your Holy Spirit not only has inspired the word of God, that we might trust it, but you so work in us as we read it and apply it to our lives that the very intention you said that your word would come, it would teach us, it would rebuke us, it would correct us, and then it would train us that the man, the woman of God might be thoroughly equipped to do everything you call us to do. So we welcome you as you want, teach us, as you want, rebuke us, as you want, correct us. But then we pray, don't leave us until you show us how to apply your word every area of my life. We pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. What a great thing to open God with house to Ken, thank you. Very seldom do I get an opportunity in that way to work with the senior pastor of the church feel like I'm working in a partnership, so um, Pastor Fendensky will I miss the tour together this morning. And thank, for, thank you for each one who led us in worship together. In our district, uh, if you think about our six districts across the country, ours begins on the west side and about the airport, and, and it goes all the way across to the Maritimes, not including in Quebec. Quebec, we call that the St. Lawrence district, but in our case, our district includes about 90 Alliance churches. And this morning, throughout today, into the evening, beginning even last night, uh, in our district, we will share Christ uh, and I'll open the Word of God in about 16 different languages. As last night, I've been translated into the uh, Vietnamese, uh, and how many congregations, how many different languages are needed in your church alone. And so, if you want to get a wee picture of Canada as it is today, would somehow use us to take his love mm-hmm. and his transforming grace into every people mm-hmm. that things that allow us to be part of. Am I standing in the wrong place, guys? I can stand backwards, I can stand forward, good. I'll do whatever you tell me, mm-hmm. just about, just about. What an amazing story and how it applies to our life. This story that had that it's just there, the Holy Spirit takes and it puts it there before us. When I think of the power of God, I think of ways in my own life that he has worked. And there's two things that you want to think of, several things that we need to think as we set up our heart and mind for receiving God's word this morning. One word is authority and the other word is authenticity. When I begin to talk from God's word, I know the authority of God's word. It is based on the fact that God is who he says He is. I have a mantra for my life and this is a mantra for my life. Jesus is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do and I can bet my life on it. You say, that's the mantra for your life? That's all I need. Jesus is who he says he is. He will do what he promised to do and I can bet my life on him. That's that's my mantra. Now you say, but your life is big and sure, but it's got to start somewhere. And the authority of God's word is based on the fact that he is not a man that he should does He has spoken. He, has, he cannot be tempted to be pushed around. His word is authentic. It is, a, it is true. The fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins is true. The fact that he rose again is absolutely the greatest, uh, powerful display of God interacting with us in all the universe. That's authority. But when I thought talk about authenticity, I'm talking about, so how does that work itself out in my life? How does the reality that Jesus Christ is who He says He is, that He has done for me what He says He has done, that He, in fact, is present and He is able to work in my life, how does the authority of His Lordship, how does the power of His presence in a daily, uh, step-by-step way, make a difference in my life? And as I studied through Second 2 uh, Kings chapter 5, it just jumped off the page at least, three different ways at least, that I get caught off guard and where I need to meet Christ and He needs to do a special work in my life. And then the very last point is where I need to daily live. When I think of how Christ works in my life, it's often us trying to lead another person to do something. And if the person lives with half a notion that there is some measure of obligation, that sure, you are in the provision position, you're in the power position, you're in the authority position, so they have to do it your way. But as they do it your way, there's always that little hint that they know better. And there's always that little resistance. There's always that sense of argument just hiding behind the curtain. There's always that wee bit that I have a better way of doing it than you have of showing me how to do it. So when you explain it, I need to push back, back. a little. When you lead me, I need to drag a little bit. When in fact you invite, I need to come up with an alternative. There is some painful heel dragging in my human spirit when God begins to lead, And when he leads, and all of a sudden he drags me into a new area where there becomes a freedom and a sense of light and of encouragement in my life, all of a sudden I speak as if I invented it myself. And all the way Christ continues to lead me. There is something of a stubbornness in my human heart and I see it again in this that Pastor Tim had read for us this morning. Walk with me as I go through at least three different areas that jump off the page. You have read them, you have got them, you should have them perhaps even on your phone or your iPad or somehow in your hand right now, Second Kings Second King, 5. But walk with me as you see how it moves from the authority of God's word into authenticity that the Spirit of God might have its way. But that that, that the foot dragging, that the obnoxious part of my human spirit might be set back and he might be given free reign in all of my life. It starts like this. There is a man who has incredible um, place in the affections of the king of Aram. If we think of the area around Damascus, we're thinking of the area of the each area they call Aram. And the king was much in debt to this commander of his army to the extent that he would pretty well do anything to keep this guy alive and happy. There was no small benefit of having this man leading the armies of Iran. And one of the things that had happened, that one of the raiding parties, as we read this morning, had gone into what we would call the country of Israel. And in their raid, they had taken people. And among those people, there happened to be a young girl. And that young girl was a young girl of faith. And the young girl was put in a very difficult position as a servant girl in this household. And I have lived in countries where I have seen servants in households and that whole relationship. In terms of her own freedom and future, her freedom and future, or whatever that lady of the house determined it was going to be. But she continued to live out of her young faith in that situation. And the woman happened to be the wife of this commander of the army, so appreciated by the king of Aram. And the man in that country was covered with leprosy. If he had been covered in leprosy living in the country of Israel, he would have been banished. But that wasn't the Judeo law in that non-Judeo country. And so he continued to serve. And the young girl said, watch the words. She says, why doesn't he go who's the prophet in Samaria and got a cure. You know, he'd be We cure that fellow. We can fix that in the in the inferior country I come from, we could fix that problem that you buffalo here. No small bit of turn there. And so the word gets to Naaman. Naaman goes to the king. Now, if you've ever had an email go sideways, this is the email that went sideways. He says, Good. Hey, and he puts together 750 uh, kilos of silver, and I think it's some 360 of uh, something else, and a whole bunch of clothes. I want to tell you, that is a chunk of change no matter what time in the, in the history of mankind that is. He was putting some power package together. And he writes a letter, he wrote a letter to Elijah and Samaria, he wrote a letter to the king of Israel. And he wrote the letter and said, uh, in short, I want you to cure this great servant of mine. Sends him money, silver, clothes, you know, entourage, everything, walks into the court of Israel and says, by the way, would you give fresh life to this man? And the king of Israel, he goes berserk. There must be a more holy words for that. And he just goes, and, and, and you need to know that in the context that the prophet, the priest, and the king all hold holy places in that culture because each one of them speak of the coming Word, Jesus Christ. They are a picture of the presence of God among those people. And he grabs his royal robe and he lifts him and he says, am I God that I can give life? What is this guy doing here? goes on and with this diatribe of oh, this is horrendous and he must be of course trying to pick a fight with me. Let me quickly show short. what's going on. The king has received a request that is asking something of him that he cannot do. It is a picture of my life every day of the week. It is a picture of your life every day of the week. By uh, 10 after uh, 8, tomorrow morning, you can have a please heal me moment in your life. Somebody can come and ask something of you that absolutely puts you inside out. That is absolutely ridiculous that they're going to change the agenda and do this. It is absolutely ridiculous that I need to put this here new piece in my car. That is absolutely ridiculous that they would put a price tag on that. That is absolutely, that now, the neighbor wants to build a fence and he actually thinks that without requesting, I'm going to pay for half of it. Give me a break. There are requests that go beyond us. There are requests that go beyond us. And if the entirety of your world of resources If the entirety of your world of thought is you, and the entirety of the universe is within about three inches of where you live, it is not hard for a request that is beyond you to land on your desk at any hour of the day. And if you could explain the anxiety and the sorrow, the fear and the frustration, the division and the argument that goes on in our life, a great part of it has to do with the fact that we daily are bombarded with requests that are beyond us. Someone said, well John, could you pick that request apart? Number one, it looks like the mail came to the wrong desk. It was never intended to come to your desk, Mr. King of Israel. It was never intended to land in your hands. It was wrongly directed as are many of the things that are demanded of us. In fact, it was to, supposed to go to the prophet. But in the meanwhile, Pastor Kim read that the prophet actually heard about it. The prophet swoops in and he says two things. He says, how do you dare rip your robes and demonstrate that the God that you represent is overwhelmed by this request? Mr. King." You forget that you are not representing your small bucket of resources. You are representing the name of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are dismayed, and it begins with the fact that as much as you think of yourself, you think little of your God. And more so, you think every email was intended for you. Do you understand the concept of forward? Forward this one to Elijah. And Elijah walks into the court. And he says, bring the man to me. And Naaman comes to him. And now a new problem emerges. But this is, the problems that we face are always beyond us if the world we live is only around us. And when God begins to make authentic His work in your life, The first thing he needs to do is he needs to teach you that you are not the sole resource of your strength and power and ability. There are other people in your life you need to refer to. And most of all, you need to know that the measure of your resources are not those that you hold in your little tail, but they're the one who holds you as God and King of your life. And that we come and we're not the healer. We're not the transformer. We're simply the informer. And we're the one who takes our broken heart, the demands, the injustices that are placed upon us, the things that seem beyond us, and we take them and we put them in the hands of our God. I could spend the morning just simply telling you about how God has taken impossible moments in my life, times when my life has been in danger, times when my life, when Connie's life has been in, in, in trouble, our children have been in trouble, over and over. My mind just lines up with stories to tell you that there is a God. He is who he says he is. He will keep his promise, and I can bet my life on him. There are requests made of me and of you every day that are beyond us. And we will be undone if we live simply in this notion that the world consists of all that is within three inches of you. There is a God who holds me in His hand, and there is a God that I can put my situations <coughs> into His hands, and He can turn them around in miraculous ways. I can think of the time that I was Connie and I were living in Bogota, Colombia, and we were and I was speaking that I was speaking that week in a in a in a series of meetings in a place called Ciudad Kennedy, Kennedy City, in the south part of the city, and right beside the place where we were hold, having that church, there was. Um, was a, uh, a coven. There was a cover There was a witches' um, center. there's probably a fancy name for it in English. Centro de no, centro de brujas. And it's a center of witchcraft, and and, uh, and the interplay between that church and that center was incredible. And that night when I went to preach, I couldn't leave because I went upstairs, crying grayed out on the bed. Oh, what's hitting me? I just can hardly move. I just feel terrible. And I, in my heart I thought, I know what this is. This is the enemy trying to keep me from going and preaching God's word into that thing. And I just felt in my heart that God wanted me to stop it. pray. And I sat down on the bed beside Connie and I put my hand on her and I just prayed and I said, Lord Jesus, protect my wife. Lift this from her. Grant her your help. And as quick as I prayed, it was like the light girl. She puts new fresh packages in the lights on. She sits up, she gives me a kiss, she says, I'm going to be okay if I go preach. God text my way. I have seen the power of God and I have seen God live beyond the limit of my resources. There are requests that are made of us that are beyond what we can do. And it will kill us. And the authority of Christ needs to be made authentic in the situation that I live in. Let me give you the second one. If the king had a problem with requests that are beyond his resources beyond his reach. What about when there are requests that are beneath my dignity? <clears throat> I'm reading this of Now I want you to know that when you're elected in that context, you don't walk around bragging what a big person you are. He was also the commander, and the only thing he could see was how important he was in the king's eyes, how more important he was in the servant's eyes. He forgot the reality of the size of the problem that he was facing. And so, Elisha, you know, if there is a sense of humor in heaven, this is a picture of it. Elisha sends a message to tell the guy to go and wash in the Jordan. Which Jordan? That would be the dirty one. That would be the one with kind of muddy water. Go tell him to wash in the Jordan seven times. Elisha, are you thinking he should have a shower or a bath afterwards? Don't say anything else. This tell him to go wash in the Jordan seven times. So the word gets back to Naaman. He throws a hissy fit. Now, I don't know if hissy fit is one of the new translations in the Bible, but he had a hissy fit. And he says, no way. He says, there are better rivers in, near Damascus. This is what it, this is where you know you're in trouble. He said, I thought the prophet would come out." I thought that he would call on the name of his God, and I thought he would wave his hand over the spot. Well, Naaman, would that be the spot on your head, or the spot on your arms, or the spot on your legs? Like, where would he start? I thought he would wave his hand. I'm not going to do this. I'm going home. And he gets on his pony, and he's headed north. And the servants catch him, and they say, "Whoa!" No, or if people have bought us, check, out, check out, And Whoa, hold back here a bit. He says, why would you do that? If he would have asked you something difficult to do, you could have done it. But he's asked you something simple. And at the end of the story, he does go down to the Jordan, and he does dip uh, himself seven times, and it says that the flesh is returned to him, just like that of a child. God reached in, and God did a miracle and touched I remember one afternoon I was teaching in a discipleship class in the church that we founded in the north end of Bogota, the 80th Avenue Alliance Church, uh, Avenida Ochenta, the norte de Bogota. And there we were, and this fellow was in one of these circles of discipleship. And we were talking about the relationship between a yielded life of obedience and how God interacts. And I always used to say, God reveals himself to us in the arena of our obedience and he's sitting there with his wife beside me. And you need to know the background of this guy. He had been involved with the narcos. He had twice crashed in planes that were hauling drugs out of the jungles of southern Colombia. And the plane went down and and either the first crash or the second crash had so hit his head that he actually had a plate in his skull. And his eyes had been jarred where he's wearing these glasses. Like I wear contact lenses or I wear big glasses or whatever. But, I mean, he made me look like like a, a little boy. He had the bottle cap, okay? He had the bottom of the pop bottle bottle. And he's there. And he's telling me, you know, it's before the story of how God had spared his life. And he came and became part of our 80th Avenue Long Church. He came to know Christ as the Savior. God began to do a great work in his, his wife, and him. But that day, as we sat talking about how the Holy Spirit, and how our obedience becomes the arena of where God works. I'm sitting there, and I'm in this great moment of teaching. Actually, i teaching. He says, Pastor Juan, he's studying. Pastor Juan, he's studying. Wait, Pastor John, wait. And I've got real, like, this is really important, because I'm teaching, and I don't want to be interrupted, right? No, Pastor Juan, he's studying. He said, Pastor John, I'm reading, I'm reading. Okay. Get the context. I'm asking people to read. They've all got their Bibles open, and he's stopping me from teaching with this great news. Pastor John, I'm reading. Please wait. I'm reading. Well, get the better context. The guy hadn't read for years. He couldn't read. I didn't quite get the message that he might be looking at a book, but he's not getting it and he's got his glasses in one hand and he's got his Spanish Bible with about an eight or 10 font in this hand and he's said, I'm reading, I'm reading. And I look and I find it dawns on me like, isn't it interesting how we think ourselves bright, and yet it takes us so long to catch on? It just bugs me how dumb we can be at times. So when I, I look over there, oh my goodness, I said, I I said, what are you doing? He said, Pastor Juan, I'm reading, I'm reading. He says, when you were talking about being obedient and God working in our lives, he said, I just humbled my heart. And as I did, just something took place. And God healed him as he sat there beside me, as he yielded his heart to Christ. If there's some formula you supposed to follow, we missed it. If there is some special way that you should hold your hands or wave your hand or make some great call, we didn't remember that part. All we knew that in the transaction of his heart, when he completely yielded his life to Christ, God did something and restored the, uh, the, the sight to that man's eyes. And I was there, and I saw, and I was there, and I saw him read. And his wife was there, and the whole circle of people were there, and God reached in. When Naaman humbled his heart. Bible says, it wasn't the eyes but his flesh, and we turned to him like that of a young boy, and his heart was changed. And he goes back to to Elisha, and he offers to pay for it, and Elisha won't take it. And he asks for something else, and I'll bring it up later, but he goes on his way. How many times do we miss God's work in our life? After knowing him as the authority and Lord of our life, When it comes to making it authentic, and the place where authenticity takes place is where I quit dragging my heels and I begin to yield my life to Christ. And he reaches into that place where the reality of my life and the humility of my action lines up with his resource and God reaches in and supplies what I need in my life when his resources... And my obedience and humility all come together. And God does a work in my life. Isn't it interesting that as long as we are above everybody, then everything asked of us is beneath us and unreasonable. How many things continue to be unreasonable for us today simply because we put ourselves in some exalted position where nobody can ask anything of us? And whatever God asks of us seems unreasonable because it's asking something beneath me. Friend, I want you to know, if you're not God, you're not high. We're low. We're low. And it's safe for us to walk humbly with God. It's safe for us to walk humbly with God. When God began touching your life, when God began calling out to you, you were humble. When God began pouring his love into your life, you were humble. When God began to do special work in your life, you were humble. There's never been a moment when that which measures me could be used in other terms, humble, in the eyes of God. There are times that I pretend to be something other than what God knows me to be. There are times I pretend to be something other than what you know I am. And when that happens, whatever you ask of me becomes irritable and frustrating because it is beneath my dignity. Naaman learned that to wash in the Jordan wasn't asking too much of him. And the irritableness and the divisions and the hurts that happen among us while we're waiting for authenticity to be made out in us is not going to change until I stop being the measure of my own life and know that Christ has set a measure for me and that measure is safe and it is good. Naaman, go wash in the river. requests that are beyond me will tell on me and say that my world has revolved around me instead of being attached to Christ. The requests that are beneath me and seem unreasonable will tell me that I have an unrealistic notion of myself and the authenticity of this life of Christ will not be my experience until I walk in line with who I am in Christ. And then finally, there are requests and temptations that are beside us, that seduce us. And Jehazi was a servant of Elijah, the most famous. We're still talking about him. This is hundreds of years, but he must have been famous then, and he's famous now. And the power that that man displayed, and we could go through the scriptures and see how God used him, you know, the, the successor to Elijah. And Jehazi was his servant. And so Elijah said, I don't want any of legal transaction. This isn't your country doing something with the God of the land of Israel. And Naaman understood that cultural notion that lands and territories had gods. And so if he was going to come into this territory and this territory of God was going to do something for him. And Gehazi, he questions, he says, my master has let him go too easily. Gehazi, let me ask you, what day of the week did you get up and decide it was your job to determine when Elisha was doing a good job or not. When was it yours to get up one morning and say that your master doesn't quite have all his marbles working in the right direction? You'd say, but it happens all the time with us. We cannot believe that God had the full story, that he received the full email, that we just need to to tidy up some of God's thinking. And he runs after Naaman, and he says... And as soon as you begin to walk in disobedience and a lack of faith, you begin to edge towards living a life. And he says, Naaman, Naaman, give me five. Pulls up his horses, jumps off, what is it? He said, you're not going to believe it. Two young men just came out of the hill country, and I wonder, okay, here we go. Two hillbillies living out there have showed up with a need. I'm guessing that if they live out there, they know how to live out there. And they show up, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you could give them maybe $10,000 worth of silver and maybe a couple of these, you know, $500 suits. Royal robes, remember? Talents of silver, and those things are worth money. If Naaman hangs on to it, he's got to carry it all the way back about 20 days' journey. Why not lighten the load? He says, sure, take two talents. He said, take some more. take whatever you like. And Gehazi just grabs his stuff for the two servants, two guys who just came out of the hills, and he takes it back and he hides it in his own house. I want you to know that when we begin to fall into that seduction of the things of this world, it's amazing how close we are to begin to tell lies. And he goes back to see uh, the prophet, and the prophet says to him, Where have you been? He not where in particular. He said, I would march not my spirit with you when the man stepped down from the chariot. He said, Gehazi, is this the time to be taking gold and clothing? Is this the time to be taking um, olive groves and vineyards? Is this the time to be grabbing flocks and herds? Is this the time to be grabbing men servants and women servants? Is this the time for you to now live out this desire that whatever Naaman has is really in my heart what I want. Is it possible that the seduction so close to you, Gehazi, has taken away your focus from that which is in front of you? Have you been seduced? Is it wrong for a person to have some money and clothes? No. Is it wrong for a person to have a herd or a flock? Is it wrong for someone to have somebody working for them? No. But it is wrong that if God has called you to a task, and for you to go to the left or the right, then it becomes wrong. And whatever God has called you particularly to do, if he has called you to go and make something right with somebody, then anything to the left and anything to the right is a seduction. If he has called you to be part of something, and you go to the left or the right, it becomes a seduction. If, in fact, he is leading you into something new, whether it be a new business or a new relationship or a new ministry, if he is calling you forward, any seduction from that is going to pull you down. He says, Gehazi, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. He says, the good news is, in your heart, you want what Naaman has. The bad news is, I'm going to give it to you. And from that moment, the leprosy that was covering men and covered down. Be careful when the seduction of that which you are being distracted by is pulling you away from that next thing that God's leading you to. And be careful that that thing that you're being seduced by actually becomes yours, because it will become a curse in your life. When the request that is beyond us reveals that our power source is us instead of the Lord Jesus Christ to get in trouble. When the request is beneath us, it tells me that I've got a wrong estimation of myself. When the request is beside me and it seduces me sideways, and it takes my focus off of that which I've been called forward to say or to do or to become or enter into or give to or, or support or die for, then that seduction has undone me. Let me show you how we live as we go from this. If I went back to verse 17, Naaman says this to the prophet. He says, Would you please, this is a strange, one, you have to understand the culture that they believe that the gods have territory. And even in the midst of his confusion and lack of clear understanding, apparently he hadn't gone to Joy's seminary for children yet. But he's doing with what he has, and God is honoring what he has. And he says this, and I don't read anywhere else in the Scripture. He says this. He says, "Would you give me as much earth as I could put on two wheels?" What's he asking? He says, "Wherever, whatever it takes to worship and respond to this God, who had my life in His hand and has given it back to me." I want to worship this God. I want to go back, and even though my responsibilities put me in such difficult situations, I am a number one guy in this kingdom of Iran. And that king who is a pagan king, he is going to have me in his old age help walk into that pagan temple. And he is going to bow down to that pagan thing. And he is going to expect that I am there with him. And the life that I am living has walked me into some really questionable situations. And in this moment, there's no other way out. And the answer that I sense in my heart will be enough is this. Is it possible that wherever God has me live, could I create there a place where I could worship this God? Could I take some of your dirt? Could I take some of your land? Could I take some of this that belongs to this king of kings and could I be that wherever I am, could I worship this God? If I'm in a difficult place, could I worship him there? If I'm in another place, could I worship him there? And you say, you got it. Because the answer to authenticity is that I have learned to be a worshiper in every single spot where I have to live out the next 24 hours. I'm thankful for Sunday. I'm thankful for the opportunity to come and study God's word. I'm thankful for the songs and the prayer. I'm thankful for that. But tell me about the other six days of the week. Friends, my counsel to you is take two mules, put all that you can of this moment on it, and take it in tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, and then at 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. Take it into Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And wherever you are, stand there as a worshiper and worship in the midst of whatever the demand of your life is. You know that even as I talk to you, I am worshipping. Lord Jesus, guide my heart. Make me sensitive to your word. Help me to respond to these people. Help me to be loyal to you. Even as I talk, my strength and encouragement comes from being a worshipper. I am learning to worship in the middle of the 401. That is serious dirt. I am learning to worship as I stand in line. And I am allergic to shopping. I react violently. My wife won't take me shopping with her. And I'm learning to be a worshiper standing in the middle of Walmart. Oh, there must be a God because I'm not exploding or doing a violent reaction. Even in spite of this shopping allergy. But I need to be a worshiper. I need to pack some mules for every moment of my life. And I need to take wherever you meet with this God. And I need to make that meeting place where I am. When the requests come to me that are beyond me, I need to stand as a worshiper and remind myself that I don't get tore up, but that I yield the situation to Him and I direct it to Him. When that which comes to me seems beneath me, I need to stand on that place where I meet with Him and I need to humble my heart and know that my integrity and in my person has not become anything less By becoming a servant in that situation and allowing Him to so work in me that His goodness flows into the situation with the request that is beneath me. It ceases to be unreasonable when I stand with the presence of Christ. And the seductions that come and the requests that are beside me, and they want to pull me away from that which should be in front of me, I stand on holy ground. I pack up my bounties. And I take some dirt with me to every next situation. And I need him for my strength. And I need the miracle of his indwelling life. And I need to be able to say that there is no other God than this God. That he is who he says he is. That he will keep his promise and I can bet my life on it. Can you pray with me? Father in heaven, we open our hearts to you. All in all for Jesus. Jesus we will sing everything in Jesus and Jesus everything. Master, come and so work and rule in our hearts that the things that tear us apart become the very places where we meet with you. The responsibilities and all the things that would undo us come and allow us to meet with you there. And teach us, O Christ, what it means to be a worshiper of you in all places at all times. And then, O God, break into our lives and cause us to know the wonder of your growing power and presence, we pray in Jesus' name. All the people said, "We know, God bless."